Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, September 6th, 2016. Yeah, the conference audio for the 2016 PCR conference is now available in our bake sale. Pretty excited about that. A lot of work on that. We had some blown out audio. We had to do some fendangling to get it even to the point that it's at. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop. Open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up the Bible and compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Uh, in order to see if what they're saying squares with what God's Word says, when we put it back in context, use sound biblical exegesis, good hermeneutics, and things like that. And over and again, we document the fact that it's the most popular folk out there with the largest followings that seem to be engaging in the most twisting. Yeah, it's a weird phenomenon. <clears throat> It's almost like the more popular you are, the, least, the less likely you are to actually rightly handle God's Word. Yeah, kind of a rare thing to actually find somebody <clears throat> who's able to um, get enough people paying attention to him while rightly teaching Scripture. It's the strangest thing. It's as if all these people out there want to have their ears scratched and tickled and told what they want to... Yeah, you, you got what I'm saying. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Today, uh, we do not have a theme. I will kind of put that out there. We do not have a theme today. Uh, we're still kind of putting some things together, stuff I've been wanting to talk about but have hang, held on to. And uh, it, it's kind of going to be all over the map is the best way I can put it. So those of you who would like to try to figure out what the theme is, yeah, not today, not today. But uh, let's talk about what we're going to do. We're going to start off with uh, Brian Simmons' appearance on um, <clears throat> Sid Roth's It's Supernatural. I don't know if you know who Brian Simmons is, but he's the guy behind the NAR uh, Passion Translation in New Apostolic Reformation, the NAR Passion Translation of the Bible. And this guy is no bueno. That's the best way to put it. And I think this 
Um, <clears throat> this interview will help you understand what the problems are there. And uh, then we're going to head over to the Jim Baker show. And, uh, oh, man. <laughs> He's right in the middle of uh, you know, an extended series of episodes with Rabbi Jonathan Kahn of Shemitah fame. And uh, they unveil uh, Rabbi Kahn's new book, The Book of Mysteries. Oh, just when you thought we couldn't handle the mystery of the Harbinger and the mystery of the Shemitah. And the Shemitah really turned out to be a non-event. Um, yeah, hand, survived it quite handily. In fact, there's a group out there. I, I, you know, there's a group out there claiming that the uh, the world is going to end in October, end of October. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to figure out exactly how many times I've survived the end of the world once we get past that one in October. But anyway, so what we're going to do is we'll head over to the Jim Baker show, and we're going to begin during his commercial spot. So you can really kind of see what the Jim Baker show is about. And then he is going to unveil the mystery of the Book of Mysteries to Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. And it's just going to be all kinds of great. <clears throat> Not really. But uh, then somewhere in there we'll take a break. When we come back from the break, we're going to do a, a vision casting leader twin spin. We're going to begin with Andy Stanley. Uh, Andy Stanley this past Sunday... Uh, decided that he would, in a sense, respond-ish to uh, the, the, the people who are critiquing him in his latest sermon series. And uh, and I'll, I'll let him explain. But basically what it boils down to is, well, if you don't actually attend North Point, there's no way that you can be smart enough or really have enough context to really get what it is that he's teaching. Yeah, I know, that's kind of a weird argument, but that's really kind of the gist of what it is that he's saying. And uh, then we will uh, listen to Erwin McManus as he talks about the artisan's soul on the Marcus and Johnny program. And then in hour number two, we're going to do a, a cold sermon review. From time to time, I do these. And uh, all I know about the sermon is that it is on the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. It is from... High Desert Church, High Desert Church out in Victorville, California. The guy's name is Tim Cool. And uh, aside from the fact that I know it's supposedly on the parable of the Good Samaritan, I don't know where this one's going to go. So um, I'm going to assume that, you know, well, that uh, he is not a good exegete. I'll assume that, although it could be wrong. And we'll just kind of figure out the name of the sermon as you are here. And, um, you know, along the way, what I think I'll do is kind of explain, you know, as I'm listening to a sermon, you know, what am I listening for? And, you know, and how do, you know, you know what, what do we do, you know, in a cold sermon, if you would? You know, you never heard it and you're not sure what to do with it. And uh, that'll be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground to cover. And since we're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. Oh. Hallelujah. Get up right now. Something real powerful for someone. Who about Panda? Who about Panda? 
Now listen to this. Robert Tilton and Hubabaconda. So uh, we're heading over to Sid Roth's It's Supernatural as he is going to be introducing and then interviewing Brian Simmons, the guy who's uh, chiefly responsible for what is called the Passion Translation of the Bible, which is, let's just say, um, a translation that is adored in uh, New Apostolic Reformation circles. And after hearing this interview... I'm pretty convinced that uh, stay away from the Passion Translation. Um, it may actually contain a spiritual virus that could cause you to become spiritually ill. You don't want to come down with heresy. Yeah, yeah, you get laid up for weeks with that. But anyway, uh, here's Sid Roth to introduce his guest. Here we go. Hello, Sid Roth here. Welcome to my world where it's naturally supernatural. My guest found himself... In the library of heaven. Did he take a wrong turn at Main Street? (laughs) How does one find yourself in the library of heaven? And he saw books on every subject you can imagine. Books on science and medicine. Things like cancer cures that haven't even occurred yet. And then he saw one book... That was called John 22. Uh, uh, What? So apparently there are 22 chapters to the Gospel of John, and we only have 21 of them? Oh, this is problematic at best. Only 21 books in the Gospel of John. Actually, that would be chapters there, uh, Sid. 22 had to do about the next great, greatest revival the world has ever seen. I want you to get some insight. I'll be right back. Now, real quick, um, you you can see where this is going. In NAR circles, uh, they flat out deny what Scripture says, what Jesus says, that in the last days there would be apostasy, that there would be false Christ, false prophets, false signs, false wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And even Jesus himself you know, asked the question, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? That's what Jesus asked. They really think that uh, the end times is going to be marked by this ginormous global worldwide outpouring of the Holy Spirit and revival like you wouldn't believe. That's what they believe is coming, and that's the exact opposite of what Jesus taught and what the apostles taught. So, makes you wonder what's going on there. But then, of course, now we got a problem. Apparently, there's 22 chapters to John. Uh-huh, 22. And, you know, of course, you know, Brian Simmons, I mean, he's been to the Library of Heaven. He saw, he saw it himself. Which basically makes you wonder, I mean, will we be seeing John 22 
in the Passion Translation of the Bible? Hmm. Let me fast forward to the relevant portion in the interview as Sid and Brian discuss the Passion Translation. Here we go. 2009, Brian Simmons gets a new assignment. What happened? Jesus Christ came into my room. Uh-huh. All right, so he got a new assignment. This comes all the way from the top, folks. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords appeared in Brian Simmons's bedroom. He breathed on me, and he commissioned me. When he breathed on you, I have to ask you this. What did it feel like? It felt like a kiss from heaven. It felt like heaven's wind, the rock, the breath, the wind of God that came upon me. And he spoke to Now, the music going on is, a, well, they did a, a dramatic reenactment of Jesus appearing in Brian Simmons' um, bedroom. And there's Brian Simmons, and he's sitting in a chair, and um, Jesus appears, and this Jesus has really long and kind of feathered uh, hair kind of looks like a hippie surfer dude and said i'm commissioning you to translate, to translate the, bible the bible into the into translation the, the translation project that i'm giving you to do oh, so, so, this translation i mean commissioned by none other than jesus himself all the apparent current english translations none of them are measuring up we need the passion translation so jesus has stepped in and called for uh, Brian Simmons to uh, translate um, the uh, Hebrew Old Test, uh, Hebrew Old Testament, and Greek New Testament into a new translation. Got it. And he promised that he would help me, and he promised me he would give me secrets of the. He- oh wow! It even contains secrets. I mean, he's got well translation secrets that nobody's got. So I mean, this is going to be quite the translation, you know. Uh huh. Language. Do you believe when he blew on you there was an impartation for revelation? I do. I believe the spirit of revelation was given. And I have to say, when he breathed on me, in no way would I want to compare that to the uh, writers of the New Testament, the original writers, uh, you know, Moses and the Torah and Ezekiel. He breathed on me so that I would do the project. And I felt downloads coming instantly. I was instant downloads. Wow. Okay. So I mean, it's no sooner does he hit accept project that you know, you know, and then and then down from heaven start downloads. Okay. Downloads. It was like I got a chip put inside of me. I got a connect. Oh wow. I mean, nobody I know who's done any translation work had a chip put inside of them from heaven. I mean. This is going to be, like, so superior to any translation out there, right? Uh-huh. Inside of me, to hear him better, to understand the scriptures better, and hopefully to translate. Are you finding that when people read uh, the translation you're working on, that it almost does a mind bypass and goes directly into the heart? I think that's a brilliant way to say it. Oh, yeah. See, the ESV doesn't do that, man. I mean, the English uh, sanctified version, which, you know, I teach from. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, when you're reading the ESV, I mean, your mind stays engaged. Yeah. 
And, you know, the passion translation, it just bypasses the brain part and just goes right into your heart. Uh-huh. You know, who needs a brain? I mean, you, yeah, you know, you, when you, if you can have a translation that just goes straight to the heart and bypass the brain, your brain could probably shrink up and, you know, you don't even really need it. Uh-huh. Poetic language of Hebrew and Aramaic release something inside of us. It's it's divine. It is full of revelation. There's yeah. So it's going to release something, right? Yeah, I'm afraid it may be releasing some kind of very very nasty strain of heresy. It's not. It's like thinking with your heart. It's like heart level to heart level, spirit to spirit, deep calling out to deep. Passion is the operative word. This translation will give you that passion back. Oh, yeah. So are you passionless? All you need is the passion translation. I mean, Brian Simmons got a chip that got downloaded straight from heaven and a commissioning from Jesus for this translation. You know, I mean, can the uh, the New King James Version translators say that? Can the ESV translators say that? No, no, they can't. I mean, what's really interesting is that the people who are the defenders of the King James Version, they you know, the... King James Bible only folks. They claim that the King James Bible may as well be, you know, like an inspired translation. And uh, what's funny is that Brian Simmons is actually claiming that for the Passion Translation. We come back. I'm going to talk. As a matter of fact, Brian told me that he had a word. I believe it's going to release some miracles. Wait, also, I got a word that's going to release miracles right there on the set. No way. Find out about that library. Are you interested? Oh, uh, yeah. To please tell me more about this library. I mean, yeah, this isn't pointing me to anything in the actual biblical text. It just makes me think that Ryan Simmons is so much cooler and so much tighter with Jesus than I am, you know. Oh, you are. I got you. <laughs> You know, Brian Simmons was telling me at dinner last night about some revelations he got in translating the Bible about women. Tell me one. Well, there is a well-worn verse in the Bibles of many men that have used this verse and have hurt people because of possibly a mistranslation. And it's Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husband as unto the Lord. That is That's a pretty powerful. daunting uh, command. But the Aramaic language, again... Um, Ephesians was written in Greek, not Aramaic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, weird. So apparently we're just going to ignore the, the original manuscripts that was written in Greek. And we're instead going to translate the Greek into Aramaic and then the Aramaic into English. In order to come up with this amazing insight. Oh, okay. I don't know anybody that can do that and actually maintain the integrity of the scriptures. Jesus spoke in Aramaic. He taught in Aramaic. The apostles taught in Aramaic as well. Yeah, but the apostle Paul wrote the, the uh, epistle to the Ephesians in Koine Greek. The Aramaic text is wives be tenderly devoted to your husband. As the church is tenderly devoted to Christ. Big difference. Okay. 
How in the world did you get into the library room of heaven? I want to go. Yeah, I know. How'd you get past security? Well, you know, as believers in Christ, there's only one entrance into the realm of the Spirit, and that is the name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus Christ. It's We don't work it out. Yeah, this is an example of taking Jesus' name in vain. We don't get into an ecstatic state on our own. I was actually asleep, and I was taken out of my body, and I was brought into this immense library room. I loved being there, and the Lord came up to me. And he said, Brian, I have brought you here to let you take any two books you want. And I'm just walking around, but it didn't take long before I saw a book that I knew I was to have. And then soon I saw another book I knew I was to have. But uh, you'll never want me back on the show when I tell you what happened then. What? Well, I have to tell you the truth. I saw a third book. And I knew the Lord told me I could only take two. And in heaven, whatever you think is put out over the loudspeaker. Everyone hears it. Your thoughts. What? Have you been hanging out with Cat Kerr? Podcasted. So here's what I hear coming out of the loudspeaker. And it's my own thoughts. How can I steal this book? And then I said, oh, no, I'm shoplifting on God. I felt so ashamed that I, but I knew if I could take this book, there was this book so, if I could just take this book back with me to the natural realm, it would trigger awakening in all the nations of the earth. It would bring the, it would make the name of Jesus famous on the, in the world. But Jesus came to me and said, Brian, I cannot let you take this book. And he looked at me in the eyes with love that melted me. And he said, you are not ready for that book. And the book is John 22. It's a whole book, you know. Then he promised, but I will bring you back one day, and I will give you that book. What was the title? Written on the cover of the book was John 22. Uh, But there's only 21 chapters in John. What's this 22? Well, John 22. Go back to John 14, 12, and you'll see that there is a greater works generation. The works that I do, you will do. Uh, no. That's an NAR teaching. The greater works generation, Joel's army generation, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, John 14, 12, the works that I do, you'll you'll do even greater works than these. Um, and they are basically saying that that's some kind of generation coming, you know, that with the great outpouring, the great revival and all that kind of stuff, and they're twisting that text. Even greater works than these. I believe the John 22 generation will be a people that do the greater works of Jesus. They will not add to the Scripture, and and that's a sealed book. But it is a... Except for John 22, you know. ...that is unfolding, and the works of Jesus will be replicated by an entire generation of people that believe fully in the power of God. Okay, so there you go. John 22 apparently is uh, pointing to that future John 22 generation that's going to do all the... They're going to replicate everything Jesus did. Uh-huh. Yeah, and like I said if I said before, if you have, uh, you know, if you'd like to buy a bridge in Brooklyn, well, I can sell one to you at a cheap price. So if this is the theology of the translator of the Passion Translation. 
And he believes that he has super spiritual insights given to him via download and direct revelation and that he was commissioned by Jesus himself and was given secrets that, uh, you know, that no other translator has. All I can say is that all of that is the setup for, well, twisting God's word. And here's here's how this then works. You sit there and you go, wait a second. You know, I I know a friend who actually reads Greek and Hebrew and. He's taken a look at the uh, the Passion Translation and says, that's not what the Greek or the Hebrew says at all. Oh, the person then says, well, yeah, but Brian Simmons, he got a special chip from Jesus, and he had a commission. So although, yeah, we, we agree, the translation is different than what you would see in the ESV. The reason it's different is because of the super special spiritual download insights and secrets that he was given from Jesus. I mean, after all, Jesus commissioned this translation. So to, tra- to question anything written in the Passion Translation, well, that's to question Jesus himself. Uh-huh, you get the point. Moving along. Time for a Jim Baker update. Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to 30 Eagles too. God is telling us the end is coming soon, very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom, very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom, very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. That's right. William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the end times, and his uh, <clears throat> rendition of Doom and Gloom coming soon. Uh, talking about Doom and Gloom, let's head over to the Jim Baker Show as they decide, well, try to help us purchase, I mean, uh, on sale, Jim Baker's survival food buckets. And uh, when we're done with that, we'll take a break and then we'll uh, listen to the unveiling of the mystery or the book of mysteries, uh, the latest book by Rabbi Khan, C-O-N. This is the $165. This is our deluxe bucket. That's right. Wow. 18 different foods in this in this bucket. This is about one of every major yes. food we have in That's our right. major buckets. But if we're gonna, what are we gonna do this for? Yes, this is incredible. So it's usually, like you said, one hundred and sixty-five dollars per bucket. But today it's gonna be for a hundred dollars per bucket. Now yes, another a lot of food. Another great way to think about this is usually we do six hundred dollars for a year uh, for one person. Well, that's four buckets. So today, if you get four buckets, which is a year for you, it's only going to be $400 donation rather than $600 donation. Wow. Yeah. And you said something about a year. Tell me again. Yes. So, for example, we usually offer our year for you for a donation of $600 for the ministry. And one year of food is four buckets. But today, if you get four buckets for $100 a piece, that means you're getting an entire year of food for $400. That's why they're going crazy. Exactly. And then, and then, and then, yeah, yeah, while you're sitting down, since you're sitting down, down, we do do the time of trouble is 28 buckets. Time of trouble, 28 buckets. That's $2,800. Apparently a seven-year supply. Uh Instead of the disc. Could you imagine having to eat that stuff? In those buckets for seven whole years, 
<laughs> Count a price of $3,500. Now you're going to pay $2,800. So you're getting another $700 of savings. I would need a break in a minute. I'm going to need a song. Now hear this. Four, this is the cheapest year yes. of the deluxe food I've ever offered. $400, you get a year of food. That's right. And so that means you're saving. It makes you wonder if they're having problems moving the merchandise, you know. When is this going to sell out? This could sell out any minute. So 400 Act now, quick. Dollars. Dollars. For one year You food. get this. You know, Pastor, the time of trouble offer, which is seven years of food, seven years of food, that's 28 buckets, is usually $3,500. Which is discounted. Which is which, think about it like this. If you order 28 buckets of food today, it'd only be $2,800 rather than $3,500. Oh, wow. So if you order the seven years of food, which is 28 buckets, you'd be saving $700 today. No, you wouldn't. You'd be spending $2,800 on stuff that would probably turn to cement in your colon. Good night. I think you kind of get the idea. And and I just want you, before we went into our you know unveiling of the Book of Mysteries, I wanted to show you uh, via audio what exactly was uh, you know being featured uh, just before uh, the unveiling. And I think it's oh so interesting. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we will continue with Jim Baker, and then we have a vision casting leader, Twin Spin, with uh, Andy Stanley uh, explaining, uh, you know, answering his critics per se, as well as Erwin McManus. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred, I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. 
but his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. Radio for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass, 
His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm going to take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm going to have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. Liturgical art is a beautiful expression of Christ's great love for us. I'm Kelly Schumacher, founder of Anya's Day Arts, and I would like to help you learn about liturgical art and the beauty it portrays as you view it through paintings, drawings, sculptures, and altarpieces. I'm available to speak with your group. My website is anyusdayarts.com, A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich! (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today.
warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the Shemitah is a scam and the mysteries revealed by Khan are cons. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you're going to see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you click on the join our crew button, you'll be taken to a page where you get to pick your rank in our crew. There are four ranks. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. Gunner's Mate, $24.95 a month. Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. If uh, if you join up as a Powder Monkey, we'll send you a Pirate Christian Dot com bumper sticker as well as our Cairo flag uh, die cut stickers. Uh, th- those are, both of them are available in our bake sale. And if you join at uh, at the Gunner's Mate or above, we will send you as our way of saying thank you for joining our crew and supporting us. We will send you a copy of the uh, new game uh, Reformanda, which again is available at our bake sale. Of course, if you'd like to make a one time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. And just a reminder, the uh, the conference audio for the lectures from the, the 2016 Pirate Christian Radio Conference are now available. You can... Purchase them at our bake sale, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the uh, bake sale link at the top. You can purchase and immediately download it and start listening to this year's conference lectures by myself, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Pastor Jeremy Rohde, as well as Pastor Donovan Riley. We covered a wide range of topics. Uh, Pastor Wolfmuller talking about uh, the the failure of American Christianity, uh, Pastor Rody talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper. I talked about Pelagianism as uh, as well as the uh, the false Christology that says that Jesus performed all of his miracles because he was uh, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And then uh, Pastor Riley he dealt with third use of the law and rightly handling the uh, the uh, the Book of James. I think we're only charging twenty four ninety five. For the download for the entire audio for all of the lectures as well as some of the supporting documents that go with it. And as always, let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's return back to Grace Street as uh, Jim Baker is getting ready to unveil the new Rabbi Jonathan Kahn book, The Book of Mysteries. Here we go. That Christian radio and television will be literally taken away because it offends people. Mm. We are, you know, we're watching. This is really, and, and this is the template. This is the biblical template. This is what happened to Israel. Mm. As they embraced immorality, they ended up persecuting the righteous. This is exactly what happened. Days of Elijah, the Harbinger templates, that's that template. If you call what is evil good, you will end up calling what is good. The Harbinger templates now? These are templates? Good, evil. 
That's where it's no accident. We're watching, say, be tolerant for everything. Be tolerant. You know, you got to be, you got to be open-minded. You're a bigot if you don't, if you're not open-minded. And then what happens on the other side? You cannot say this. You cannot say this. We want to stop you saying this. It's the most intolerance we've ever experienced. Right. It's not an accident. And it's not an accident that we're seeing more examples of persecution now than we ever have before. People losing their jobs for doing nothing, for just holding what it's, it's, it's part of the picture of where we are heading. We have not stopped. The template has not stopped. We are, if anything, we're accelerating away from God. And the Bible says that's an acceleration to judgment. Our time's getting away on this broadcast, this program. And I really want to introduce your book today. The unveiling. That's the revelation, I guess, but the (laughs) revealing of the book of mysteries. What is the book of mysteries? Why why did you call it the book of mysteries? Because... It's a book of mysteries. Um, <laughs> well, that's the only part that's not a mystery. Uh, yeah, that's quite the mystery. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, because I felt, first of all, I felt that believers, we need to be strengthened now. Mm-hmm. And they need to be strengthened. Mm-hmm. This is going to be very challenging times, tough times. And there's so much of God. There's so much. I agree. Times ahead are going to be difficult for Christians. It just seems odd that... Um, you know, Jim Baker just seems to be capitalizing in on the, uh, you know, the fear and anxieties related to these things. To be revealed, there's no end mm-hmm. to the mysteries of God. There's no end to the revelations of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to do so, so. So I was just led to put so much. So if the Harbinger was the opening of one mystery and the Shemitah was opening of another, this is the opening of hundreds of mysteries. Uh, yeah, as if... Uh, the mystery of the Harbinger and the mystery of the Shemitah weren't bad enough. Now we need a hundred more mysteries to go along with it. Good night. It's like this guy's like some kind of perpetual Gnostic now. And and the biggest challenge I had was it is so to, it was to how to, it's almost like almost in, I'm not saying every but almost every page you could have a book on it. So the biggest challenge I had was how do I get this down? It's already twice as many you know words than the Harbinger, but how do I get this down to do that? So it exists on several levels, and that is that one on one level. It's a book of mysteries. You could read it right through. You could look at the index and this mystery, that mystery, that mystery, hundreds of them. Secondly, it can be done as a devotional because it also has it. It's 365. So it's several. a mysterious devotional. Uh-huh. And the other was I returned to the, to the format of the Harbinger in this sense, that it's revealed through a story. It's revealed that a man goes into the desert, a traveler, a disciple. He meets a man called the teacher. And every day the teacher, every day the teacher takes him on an odyssey on mountaintops, in, ca- in caves, in, in chambers of scrolls and mystical things. And every day he... Sh- Did he make it all the way up to the library of heaven? Has he read John 22? Shares with him another mystery of God. Some, and the, the disciple writes it down. And so it's like the recording of the disciple. So because every day there was another mystery, that's why they're... So the person who's reading it is kind of taken on the journey, mm-hmm. but, it's, who's, oh, but it's also taking every day. Mm-hmm. So there are things in here, there are mysteries about the end times in here they're mysteries on on heaven they, they, they just got they're chock full of mysteries folks i mean yeah yeah i'll pass i'd just rather open up my bible and read it 
Doesn't seem all that mysterious, you know. And mysteries on on changing your life, mysteries of time and space, mysteries of history, mysteries of every possible kind. And there's many things that, as far as I know, have never been. Can you help us understand the mystery of why you wrote the Book of Mysteries? And revealed. Um, Maybe it has something to do with money. Here before, so so it is. It is so packed. And the biggest challenge I had was how do I how do I get this into one thing? And you know, by God's grace. It happened. <laughs> so it happened. Yeah. It sure did. It happened, and I really want to unveil the book. I really it's the first time I'm seeing a real book. I want to give, and I got some more questions yeah. to ask you uh, because what you're saying, my big pet peeve about books is when they're full of filler. Right. I call it filler, puffing <laughs> yeah. stuff. You know, and I I want to read all meat. I want to read. The bottom line, I want to know where I'm... Yeah, from what I've heard, I'm pretty sure the Book of Mysteries is meat-free. Yeah, it's this is a vegan theological meal. I'm going and... No, and that's... Mm-hmm. You really packed it in. It's packed. Truly. <laughs> packed. Yeah, full. I had... Every time I had, like, three, three pages for one... I had to get to one page, you know, every time. And, and it's a it. very... Very, very, very unusual looking book mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And so I want to give you the first copy. Thank you. Here we go. <laughs> Rabbi seeing his book for the first time. There it is. Yeah, I don't know how Christianity has survived for two millennia without the Book of Mysteries. I mean, you know, finally, finally, we can have you know the key to unlocking the mysteries uh-huh right yeah you know and you know with the shmita template and the elijah templates and all that mysterious stuff right mysteries by jonathan Kahn. they spelled it wrong it should be c-o-n what do you thank think? you oh i like it do I you mean, like it <laughs> i mean i I mean, I, I, I know the content, but I have never you know the, the first content. book I have. This is the first and, book and I've seen. Look at the pages. Did you look at the edge? Yes. Can you see see this edge? You got to get it close up there. Yeah. You see that? They're they're like something found <laughs> yes. in an old uh, an old trunk. You yeah, see, they, see the, the pages it, are the, uh, like of an old book. It's yeah, awesome. like, like you're discovering a book. They're almost like they're different yeah. sizes. It'd be like something yes. a really really old old book. Yeah, it's interesting. They did that, and I don't think they... Yeah, they did that, but it's not really an old, old book. It's just a new, new con. Realize that in the book, one of the places the teacher takes the disciple is to a chamber of... It's the chamber of books, and there are books that look just like this, but they didn't realize... Oh, you went to the same place Brian Simmons went, the chamber of books. Is that when they wrote it? Did you read John 22? You know, so when they did did the cover. But it's... it's, I wanted to do it as if it was a treasure chest, you know, that you're opening up the the deep mysteries of God and um, yeah yeah if you want to understand the deep mysteries of God open up that really old book it's called the Bible oh man yeah and uh, you know as as uh, they as the saying goes there's a sucker born every day and here they're discussing I mean even the the reason for them choosing the cover. And all that kind of stuff, it's all designed to manipulate. It's all designed to create a particular type of look and feel and impression. And none of it is actually 
Real. Yeah, again, I don't know how the church survived 2,000 full years without the Book of Mysteries, but finally God has permitted it to be <clears throat> written and revealed. So you, now you can finally, once and for all, understand the mysteries of... Mm -hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> all right. Moving along, we have a, a vision casting leader update, and that requires us to do this. That's uh, Los Lobos Ministry Records and their rendition of uh, Foreigners Double Vision that they've reworked into Casting Vision. So we're going to be heading over, back over to um, the uh, North Point Church, Buckhead Campus, as uh, Andy Stanley continues with his Who Needs God sermon series. And we're going to note the way he began the sermon on Sunday. The little bit of a, well, uh, an acknowledgement that there are some people out there critiquing him. 
And uh, his response, how shall we say it, is oh so unsatisfactory and oh so ridiculous. Yeah, here's Andy Stanley in the beginning of the next installment in the Who Needs God sermon series, The God of Jesus. Here we go. Well, happy that Labor Day weekend to all of you here at Buckhead Church and for those of you at North Point Community Church and East Auditorium, West Auditorium, thanks for being in church today. For those of you who are still in your pajamas, you're at the lake and you're at the beach, we're not jealous, we're not haters. We're just grateful that you decided to come to church uh, via the internet. So we're glad that you're here. And all of our strategic partners all over the country and now more and more all around the world. It's just so fun to, to be a part of this growing community of people who are approaching life and approaching Christianity a little bit different way than maybe some of us um, grew up with. Um, approaching life and approaching Christianity in a little bit different way than some of us grew up with. Key words. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I I think Andy Stanley's on the same path as Rob Bell. Yeah, it'd be just just a matter of time before and he and Rob Bell are, you know, like touring together with Oprah, but we continue. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Who Needs God? And if ever there has been a series where you need to catch up, this is it because we're taking off today and moving in a little bit of a different direction. Um, last week was a real mind bender. I promise not to do that to you until two weeks from today. We'll go back. Yeah, and the only reason why it was a mind bender is because it made no sense whatsoever. You actually attacked the, uh, well, the miracles of the Old Testament, forgot to mention that Christ said they actually happened, and then pointed to the resurrection and then said that the uh, that the Bible isn't the foundation of Christianity and talked like talked about the early years of Christianity as if they were Bibleless. Um if you meant Bible by, you know, one volume where all of the books of scripture are held in one place, okay, yeah, they were Bibleless, but they had all the documents. They had the Old Testament uh, via the Septuagint, and they had the writings of the apostles in the Gospels and the letters. Um, and so, yeah, this is just like really awful stuff that you've been engaging in here. To, to just mind-bending kinds of new and fun stuff. But this, is, uh, this has been a, a really fun series for me, and I've enjoyed you know, getting ready for it. Um, however, there are people who are not a part of our church community who watch from the outside who don't understand what they do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, if, if you're watching from the outside, there's just no way you could possibly understand what Andy Stanley is saying. Now, let me explain how this is just patently false. Where is Andy Stanley preaching this sermon from? Well, we heard at the opening of the sermon, he was actually delivering the message at the Buckhead Church, uh, which is part of their multi-site schema that they have there. He wasn't at the flagship campus for North Point. He was at Buckhead, all right? How were the people at the North Point main campuses, how were they hearing and seeing Andy Stanley? Answer, well, he was be, his image was being projected onto the jumbotrons at the campi. Mm -hmm. That's how the whole multi-site thing works, all right? So how, the other thing that he talked about there at the opening of his sermon was the fact that, well, it's the Labor Day weekend, and there were people who were tuning in to well, the North Point's worship experiences via the internet. Mm -hmm. 
they weren't physically in any of the multi-sites. They may have been at the lake. And he said that he wasn't going to be a hater, but they, he was thankful that they were dialing in, right? Okay, so here's how, if, if I understand his argument correctly, there are people on the outside. Mm-hmm. Okay, people on the outside. That would be people like me who ha- are not physically showing up to any of North Point's multi-site campi. Yep, I haven't been to North Point, haven't been to the Buckhead Church, haven't been to any of his multi-sites, right? And, well, that means I am incapable of actually understanding what it is that Andy Stanley is saying. But the people who are, well, who regularly attend but are tuning in via the Internet, they can understand. And if you're attending a multi-site and you've never actually been in the same room as Andy Stanley, you can understand, even though we're all hearing and seeing the exact same message. Mm -hmm. You see, apparently, showing up to the multi-site, God the Holy Spirit gives you a special chip download so that you can really understand what Andy Stanley is saying. And if you don't show up, well, there's just no way you can get it. No way whatsoever. That's literally how he's arguing. And some people who are not a part of our um, gathering of churches in the Atlanta area and around the country. And so some people have come to the conclusion that I don't believe the Bible, which I know. I'm glad you laughed and didn't go, well, duh. I'm glad. Yeah, exactly. So anyway. Um, well, actually, that's weird. Here you've gone through all this, this, you know, this rigmarole to give a very nuanced presentation. You, you're talking about the importance of people having not a childhood Jesus, but growing up and having a more mature understanding of the Bible, and that somehow it's okay to, you know, not believe that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, that the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, that the earth was created in six days, and things like that, but still be a believer in Christianity. These are the arguments that you're making. So, I mean, in one sense, you believe the Bible and you believe the resurrection. But in another sense, it's pretty clear you're attacking the inerrancy of Scripture. So notice, he doesn't actually honestly deal with his, criti- with his critics. He's created a straw man. Oh, there's a bunch of people out there say, I don't believe the Bible. Uh-huh. Well, listen to the sermon reviews. We note what it is that you were attacking and clearly what it is that you don't believe about the Bible. We continue. And I realize part of the reason that I'm easily misunderstood by people who don't understand what we do because they don't do what we do and they're not part of this fabulous. um, Yeah, you can't possibly understand what's going on there unless you actually show up. You, You can't. And even if the only way you show up is, you know, via the Internet, you have to actually be a part of them before you can actually get it. Uh huh. Yeah. In other words. All you critics out there, you know, myself, James White, and others, you're all just dumb. And there's no way you can get it because you haven't actually shown up here. Community that you've helped us create, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, and have chosen to be part of one of our churches. Part of it is, maybe I haven't been clear on exactly why I'm doing this series and exactly who I'm talking to. So I want to be super, super... Oh, it's clear who you're talking to. You're not talking to Christians. You're talking to the atheists. Who, again, I ask the question, why do you think they're there? They're not there. 
The people who show up at church are Christians. Clear, and then we're going to take off and move in uh, a little bit different direction, okay? I want all the people who grew up in church and then left church because they couldn't figure out how to reconcile what they learned in school or what they experienced in life with what they learned in church. And what did you say about them? They left church. That means they're not there, Andy. The job of a pastor is to preach the word. So, yeah, like I said, I know exactly who he's been preaching to. He has not been preaching to Christians at all. You decided, you know what, it's just irreconcilable. Science is irreconcilable with faith. Pain is irreconcilable with faith. Pain and suffering in the world is irreconcilable with faith. My life experience is irreconcilable with faith. Just what I've learned and what I've experienced as an adult is irreconcilable with faith. And so there's this tension, and I can either pretend that I believe something I'm not sure exists, or I can go with what's obvious and with what's undeniable. I want. Yeah, the obvious and undeniable is science. Science is right, the Bible isn't. Yeah. I want you to reconsider Christianity because I think some of you, I'm, I'm guessing a whole lot of you, but I don't want to judge a lot of you though. You left Christianity for reasons that really have nothing to do with the Christian faith. You left. Yeah. Like, you know, the walls of Jericho coming down. Yeah. We've covered all of this. Uh huh. So basically you can't understand it. If you don't actually show up, even though his messages are on the internet, don't, don't expect to understand what he's really saying just by, you know, tuning in via the internet or watching the message. It's the same way that all the people in the multi-sites do. No, unless you're a part of it, you can't get it. Right, yeah. And of course, like I said, he wasn't preaching to Christians at all. And he just reaffirmed that. All right. Uh, uh, the, the, we're doing a vision-casting leader twin spin, and Erwin uh, Raphael McManus recently appeared on the Marcus and Johnny show to talk about his um, book, The Artisan's Soul. Yeah, he's still out there selling it. And um, he said some very interesting things about the Bible worth passing along because of, well, how wrong they are. Here's uh, Marcus to uh, talk about The Artisan's Soul and then discuss it with Erwin uh, Raphael McManus. Here we go. About it. The book is The Artisan's Soul. What is an artisan, and can everybody become one? Yeah, the great challenge with the title of this book is that people see the title. The- it, what is an artisan, and can everybody become one? I thought the gifts of the Spirit were ver- a variety of gifts, and we all have different gifts, and that were, you know, Scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the importance of, you know, different gifts doing different things so that we as a body can all work together. It's a distribution of work, if you would. And so and go, oh, I'm not an artist. This book isn't for me. But I actually wrote this book because that's what people say. Because I, I think we've made a mistake and put people who are, quote, artistic and creative in a special category and said, oh, you know, they're the uniquely gifted ones and there's the rest of us. We're just supposed <laughs> to appreciate them. But the reality is that all of us were imagined to imagine. We are created to create. Um, where in the Bible does it say we were all imagined to imagine? We were created to create. What biblical text actually teaches this doctrine? Every human being is both a work of art and an artist at work. This- I mean, that sounds so beautiful and kind of pithy. Um, but again, where in Scripture does it say that? 
really an argument. It's an anthropology that says you don't understand who you are as a human being. That you were created by God as a creative being. And every single day of your life is supposed to be a creative act. That God has placed in us this incredible... Great. I mean, now we have 11 commandments. I mean, not only do we have the 10 commandments, okay? Shall have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. And now I've got to create because I've been created. I've got to, I've got to be artistic. I... A commandment number 11. Are you keeping this commandment? Because I didn't even see it. Capacity to dream, to have visions and dreams of a future that does not exist. And then to become God's instruments to create that future. All right. So, I mean, are you, folks, I mean, 11 commandments now. Are you keeping the 11th commandment? The, the commandment to dream about a future that doesn't exist and then working with God to create that future. Yeah, I, oh man, I, I I've like put zero effort into keeping this commandment. I you know I wonder if if I, I could lose my salvation because I haven't been dreaming and then creating. I oh man, who knew there were eleven? I didn't even know there were eleven commandments. And I, I just love the fact that every human being is an artist. Picasso said that the greatest motivation of all art is love. Yeah, and love is uh, the commandments. You know, Jesus said. All of the commandments hang on these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's law, not gospel. Hmm. Monet said the same thing. Van Gogh acknowledged the same thing. They're all really echoing Jesus. Because when we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, when love... Yeah, which is the law. Yeah, that's the summary of the law. That's not how we're saved. It's the driving principle of our life. Then we begin to live as an artist. Oh, I see. So the true sign that <laughs> see when I was growing up as a Nazarene, I mean, I had you know, n they never emphasized the way you can really tell if you're really obeying the commandments is if you're an artist. Yeah, they, they never even dawned on them. For them, I mean, the true sign that you were really obeying God was that you didn't watch TV, you didn't go to movies above PG ratings, you didn't dance, smoke, chew. Go with girls who do, you know, you, you didn't, in do, you, basically, you know, anything the world liked, you didn't do. I mean, that was the sign. And who knew all along, really, the real sign that you were obeying God is that you were an artist. Man, I, yeah, we, no one ever preached this 11th commandment to me. And that, because the greatest masterpiece is supposed to be our lives. You know, I'll oh, the greatest masterpiece is supposed to be. Oh, wow. I mean, doesn't that sound just great? Oh, the greatest master. And then you look at your life and you go, oh, well. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't realize my life was supposed to be a masterpiece. Woo. <laughs> There's parts of my life I don't want splashed on any campus. That's a terrible masterpiece. Say all the time that. So here's Johnny. And we get connected to the one who created us amazing things happen. I know you talk about that in the book and that the, the giftings, the, the, the artistic abilities. I mean, so much more than what you can even imagine God has for you in you. But it's almost like a computer that's not plugged in. But when we plug into the source of the one who yes. created us and gave all of Very these good. beautiful gifts, it's like turning the light on in the mosaic of our life and all those beautiful colors mm -hmm. begin to shine through. People are so... So as soon as you plug into God, um, it's just like a computer. He installs Adobe Illustrator so that you can be an artist.
afraid of the the name Jesus. They're connecting to him. Why do they not need to be afraid of that? Well, I, I think one of the difficulties is that the church has been so afraid of the capacity inside of every human being. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> are you a capacity phobe? Yeah. I mean, are you afraid of the capacity that exists inside of human beings? You're, you probably are a capacity phobe, which means you probably go to church, you know? So the, apparently the church has, you know, been engaging in capacity phobia for many, many, many years. Okay. The Bible was used as a manuscript of conformity. To right, yeah, you know, doctrine and life. I mean, even the scriptures talk about, you know, teaching what's in accord with sound doctrine and rebuking those who contradict it. So what do you think the Bible's about, Erwin? Manipulate people through guilt and shame, when really the Bible should be our manifesto of creativity. To right, yeah, I never even thought of using it that way. I am declaring that the Bible is my manifesto of creativity. I will no longer be a capacity phobe. <laughs> okay. What does that mean? Awaken the God-given potential inside of every human being. Uh, where does the Bible talk about awakening God-given potential? And for me, one of my life missions has been whenever the name of Jesus is spoken, everyone thinks about beauty, wonder, creativity, imagination, that we... Not a cross, not him bleeding and dying for our sins, not calling people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. No, when you hear the name of Jesus, you should think of, well, a, a, a very beautiful piece of artwork, right? Yeah. It should be, every time you hear the name Jesus, you should be taken to the art museum and and look at the Van Gogh and things like that. To think of the church as the epicenter of human creativity. Because you cannot... Right. Yeah, because the church is supposed to be the epicenter of human creativity. Uh-huh. A God who created the universe in our lives and not be inspired to be creative. Hmm. I think it's tragic that we've been known for conformity rather than creativity. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Scripture actually teaches conformity when it comes to doctrine. Conformity when it comes to holiness and God's law. Not creativity. So, I mean, I don't know where he's getting this. I mean, he sounds really sincere. And I mean... It's almost Clinton-esque, you know, you know, remember when uh, President Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton, that would be, uh, you know, with, you know, he kind of do the lip quiver thing and, and can bite his lip and, you know, I did not have sexual relations with that one. Yeah. You, you know, all the, he, he sounds so sincere. I mean, here's Erwin McMahon. He sounds so sincere. I mean, oh man, the church, because God is so creative, the church needs to be the place that, you know. That people think about human creativity. We down with capacity phobia. Down because the church is no longer about conformity. It's all about creativity. And you just sit there and go, where are you getting any of this from the Bible? Because the Bible tells us the story of how we fell, came to be in the condition that we're in, why we die, why we suffer, and what God has done in Jesus Christ to rescue us, to save us, and give us a hope in the future. Huh. 
Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I don't know what it is, but maybe, I don't even know how you do it, but apparently, you know, I'm a capacity phobe, and I'm all about, you know, conformity and things like that. Oh, man, yeah, I'm I'm so anti-creativity, you know, whatever. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we're heading to High Desert Church. Going to do a cold sermon review. I don't know anything except for the text. Yeah, the text of the Good Samaritan. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Let's do this right. 
good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via High Desert Church. Tim Cool presiding there in Victorville, California. The name of the sermon series is You Are Here. Sermon we'll be listening to, um, well, I guess it's You Are Here. And I don't know anything about this. I except that it's supposedly about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I'll say this, that parable, that text, is a difficult text to preach if you don't know how to rightly handle law and gospel and don't understand how that is rightly explained in the epistles, especially Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. Even Philippians comes into play, too. So I don't have a lot of confidence that Tim Cool's going to be able to pull this off. And I've heard a lot of bad sermons on the uh, the prodigal son. I'll put a link up with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith to a sermon that I recently preached on the prodigal son as a you know kind of a comparative point. But let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Tim Cool and his sermon. You are here. Here we go. Hey hey hey. Hello, Sunday night. Very, very glad to have you. Hey, we're going to start this new series called You Are Here Tonight. And as we do, we would love to uh, give you a program, a bulletin, a piece of paper. I don't care what you want to call it, so that you could track along with us this weekend. So if you came in and you were, you know, hunting, I don't know the name of a single dog on Pokemon. I'm so sorry about that. But if you came in and you didn't get a chance to grab a program, you raise your hand and we'll give you one right now. Okay? So as they're doing that... Um, I feel like I should actually literally go ahead and introduce myself because I know that things have changed in the last three weeks around here. A lot of people have stepped out around the world and moved on to other things. My name is Tim. Um, I've worked here at the church since 2004. Uh, we moved here when my son was seven-ish days old. Um, he was born in San Diego and then lived a good full week there. And then his entire life, he's known here in the desert. He got an upgrade. I don't know what to say. Um, when I first started at our church, I worked with the junior high students off in the trailer. Um, we had a rally cry for ourselves. Uh, it's inappropriate to say because we called ourselves the trailer trash and we were proud about it. Um, and then I worked there for a couple of years and then they're like, all right, you didn't mess things up too bad. We'll let you work with the high school students. So then I worked with high school students. And then that was a lot of fun. We did a lot of great things. Uh, and then I got a chance to work here on Sunday nights. My wife and I actually attended this service for, I think, eight or nine years of our time here at HTC. Worked here for a while. And then they're still trying to figure out what I'm good at. So then they moved me on again. Uh, and I got moved on to like the, a really bizarre job description. Um, I was missions pastor, but I also worked with our graphic uh, design team. And I also worked with our productions team. Um, that was a lot of fun. Made no sense uh, because they're good at what they do and I'm not. Um, I worked with membership. I worked with volunteerism. Um, and it, it's literally every 23, 24, or 25 months, my job changes. And then a few weeks ago, Pastor Todd was letting us know in the offices that God was moving him on, moving him down to Redlands um, and Yukaipa area. 
And they're like, all right, well, we need someone someone to work Victorville. I'm like, I know Victorville. Like, shoot, I know all the spaces to hide and where you can bus kids and stuff like that. And and so uh, so they moved me here. And it's just been about two and a half, three weeks on the job. And um, I can't even tell you how much has changed. I mean, it's just a radical, radical shift for us in the office, a radical shift for us as a team. And it's really exciting to share with you guys um, over the next three weeks. Can't tell you how important church is going to be. And I know, I know that Sunday night is like for a lot of people, it's like, oh, I was at the river all weekend. I'll grab church in the evening. Um, And then some people like you will grab church if you don't have better plans. I'm going to say this. Be here the next three weeks because it's very, very importante. And I know you don't speak Spanish, but I know you caught that. Now, with that said... All that leading to this. Tonight we want to bury ourselves in Luke chapter 10. We're going to bury ourselves in um, one of those radical stories. Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son to demonstrate the extent, the depth, breadth of God's love towards us. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is the depth, the extent, and the breadth of our love for other people. Okay, So those two sides of the coin caught in this parable. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to walk you through it now. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Already I need to tell you something about the Bible. Okay, already. So this guy is a teacher of the law. You're instantly thinking lawyer, like in a courtroom. No, that's not what this means. A teacher of the law in Jewish culture would be someone who absolutely is dedicated to... All right, now I'm going to give him some points, at least in this sense. He's trying to exegete a text. And he's clearly done some homework, so he understands that, you know, what a teacher of law is, and he wants to convey this accurately. So, so far, so good. I mean, that's a that's a positive thing. Working through a text, not just ripping things out of context, and doing your homework to make sure you got the, uh, you know, you, you understand what's going on. Okay. Torah, the Pentateuch, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what he's an expert in. So he's a Bible guy. He's a Bible geek. He's a Bible nerd. And this Bible nerd asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's interesting because there are some people alive in Jesus' time that believe that when you die, you're done. And then there are other people that believe, no, 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 the Bible's really clear. And again, you've got to keep in mind, not New Testament, Hebrew Bible. The Bible obviously teaches that there's life after death. So can you imagine being an expert in the Bible and not knowing if you're going to go to heaven? That's where this guy's at. And uh, No, no, actually, no. That's not correct. Let me explain. So we got a problem here. All right. So behold, a lawyer, an expert in the law, stood up to put Jesus to the test. So he's challenging Jesus. He's not wondering if there really is an afterlife or not. No. His goal is to trip Jesus up. So he's going to trip Jesus up with a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Which is a terrible question. An inheritance is a gift given upon somebody's death. What shall I do in order to inherit eternal life? In other words, the question assumes, you know, hey, I'm saved by my good works, by my efforts. He actually is assuming there is an afterlife and there is eternal life. But he's also, in the question, assuming 
that he's got to earn it. So he's confusing law and gospel. He may be a Bible nerd, but he's clearly been influenced by the false teaching of the Pharisees that we make ourselves righteous by our own efforts and works. So he understands his place in religious society. He gets what he does. But Jesus seems to be bigger than. To him, he's like, Jesus is more. And so he says, hey, how do I know if I'm going to get to heaven or not? Yeah, did you catch the part where he was trying to put Jesus to the test? He wasn't doing this because he really was just hanging on every word that Jesus preached and taught. That's the question that's being asked. That's the situation. So then Jesus says back to him in verse 26. So already, when, when I listen to a sermon, if the setup is not accurate, there's no way to rescue the sermon. At this point, this sermon may have some gospely elements in it, but because the setup is wrong, he although he did some homework, he has not properly conveyed the real sense of the text. He's already jumped the tracks. The setup is incorrect. The conclusion will necessarily not be right. That's how this goes. I've never seen a guy botch the setup of a text and then stick the landing. I've never seen it done. So I'm really um, convinced this guy won't be able to pull it off. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus says, what's, what's your Bible saying, man? And then the guy replies this. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now this, I mean, we could go off on the fact that Jesus has asked this question and he gives the same exact answer. How fantastic of an answer this is. But it's weird because the guy's... Yeah, except for the rest of the New Testament says, by works of the law, no one will be saved. So Jesus isn't saying, you know, hey, you're on the right track. Keep doing the law thing and you'll be saved. Nobody, according to the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Romans chapter 3, not one single person is justified by keeping the law or keeping the Torah. He, he says that as well in Galatians. Or if a law had been given by which we must be saved, then Christ died for no reason. So you, you're kind of missing some important Christian biblical doctrine here. And by taking the uh, you know Jesus' answer at face value without understanding that this guy wants to know what he needs to do in order, in order to inherit eternal life. And then, he, you know, how do you read the text? Well, here's how I read it. Do these things and you'll live. But he's not doing them. That's the point. The question was a bad question. Sure, right? Like, I don't even know if I'm going to heaven. Did I even get this right? I really honestly don't know where I stand with God. So he says, love God and love people. And then verse 28, perfect. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do that and you'll have eternal life. Whew, okay, I got the answer to the test right. But then he asks this question that sets up the parable. I'm going to throw my Bible marker out of the way. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, yeah, don't run fast over that statement. He wanted to justify himself. That's his problem. 
That is really important because it shows us what's going on in his head and in his heart and in his life. Because I'm assuming from this that he says, okay, so if I were to say, here's my guess at how I get into heaven. My guess is that I've got to love God and I've got to love people. And Jesus says, yes, do those things and you're going to be all right. And then the guy's like, here's the thing. Okay, so me and God, we're tight. I love him. He loves me. I know that. Here's just, it's just like, there's another part, like the people, like the people part, like, I mean, for the most part, I love my wife. I mean, for sure, when we're in public places. If that's what this guy's attitude is, then he's a law breaker, not a law keeper. Now, let me read the relevant portion from Romans 3. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 3. What then? Are we Jews any better off? This is verse 9. Uh, No, not at all. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is describing every human being, including this expert in the law. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. The purpose of the law is to shut you up and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Notice the word justified. He wanted to justify himself. But by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's the reason why the law was given, in order to show you that you're a sinner, that you don't measure up, that you have fallen short of the glory of God. And the gospel then is proclaimed so that you know how your sins and your fallen short have been taken care of by Christ. So the call of the gospel is to repent and to be forgiven. This is why salvation is by grace through faith, and it is not by works. He then goes on, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It's the righteousness of God. This is God's righteousness. The righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, or you can say atoning sacrifice, by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what then becomes of our boasting? Well, it's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified. That means to be declared righteous by faith apart from works of the law. And you know what? Paul teaches the same gospel as Jesus. So if you don't know the fuller extent of biblical and New Testament theology and how to rightly understand God's law, you're never going to get what's going on in the story of the Good Samaritan. And unfortunately, Tim Cool here has shown that he is he's messing up. 
he does not understand justification by grace through faith apart from works. He doesn't know how that then comes into play in our understanding of this whole exchange. And as, as a result of it, he's missing the whole point. And like I've already pointed out, his, he's saying, well, it's clear that this uh, lawyer, this uh, you know, expert in the law, isn't so good at loving others. That means he's a lawbreaker. And if he's not so good at loving others, he's liable to the fires of hell. Uh-huh. He's not keeping it. And that's really the point that Jesus is driving at. Parties or the store. But I mean, some, sometimes, like sometimes, why, like, maybe I've like talked loud at her and stuff. Like, does that, does that not count? Or how about this? Why don't you make me a list of all the people I got to love? Like, I'm going to make a list right now. Like, like probably like eight or nine of them, right? Like eight or nine. Jesus, why don't you tell me who I've got to love and I'm going to do it. He's nervous because he totally understands that he's not been a loving person with his life. I mean, it does not take a genius to realize that we don't treat each other perfectly. So he's nervous on that part. And so he says, well, how do I even know who my neighbor is? That's such a like philosophical concept, Jesus. Like, neighbor. Like, man, let's break that down. Nay and burr. Hmm. And then Jesus says, okay, let me tell you a story, fool. And this is the parable of the good story. Yeah, Jesus didn't say, let me tell you a story, fool. Now we're really messing things up here. Oh, wow. It's why it was asked. It's why it was told. And Jesus said this. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. As a matter of fact, he went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you will have. That's the story, the totality of it. Verses 30 through 35. That's it. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law looks at Jesus and says one of the greatest descriptions in all the Bible. Oh, I mean, the neighbor was the guy who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, yeah, go and do that. That's what I'm talking about. So let's walk you through the story. You're already like, no, Tim, I get it, man. There was a guy in need. There was a guy who had the opportunity to help him, and he did. Like, I get it. No, you don't. This story is uncomfortable, and I'm going to push you to uncomfortable places tonight. I'm going to push myself to very uncomfortable places tonight. I'm. Uh, it sounds to me like you intend to preach this through the law and not law and gospel. My question is, who's Jesus in the parable? Jesus is in this parable. You might want to figure out which of the characters is Jesus.
actually going to stay back from other edges of the way I could explain this story that are too uncomfortable for me to go to. I'll make reference to them. We'll all probably be vaguely familiar with what I'm talking about. You might be specifically familiar with what I'm talking about. But I want to walk you through the story as it would hit the ears and the minds and the hearts of the people listening. So let's break through the elements that we know. One, there's a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, I've never walked it, but the research I've done told me that it's very steep. It's downhill, and it's downhill fast. Yes, it is. This is true. Some of you have been on what's known as a hike. It's when you get out into nature and you exercise, okay? You obviously live in a culture before the desert that was less, I don't know, hell-like than the desert, okay? And so when you're on a hike and you're on a really steep incline, what do you do? You have switchbacks. You go up a mountain gradually. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is not just like a, a random place. It was an actual road. And it was filled with switchbacks. And the thing in the ancient world, if you were on a path with a lot of switchbacks, you did not have great line of sight. And it was actually known as a road that was really easy to get jumped on, okay? You could get carjacked on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho because there was a lot of built-in barriers for people who wanted to do bad things. They could do it without getting caught. And so- Yeah, that's right. Historically, the road uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, full of bandits and robbers. This is, yeah, this is true. This guy's on the road and instantly they're like, oh man, he shouldn't have been on that road. Oh, that stinks, man. All right. And then robbers jump him and they strip him. They leave him almost naked. They take all his stuff. They beat him and now he's dying. And you'd be like, oh man, that's terrible. You kind of don't care, do you? And and I get it. I I mean, I kind of don't care either. I'm I'm not trying to, you know, be grumpy about it. But I'm going to say something in just a minute that is completely false. It is a lie I'm making up. It is fictional. It is fictitious. It's not true, okay? What I'm about to tell you is a story. It's pretend. It's not real. But did you hear on Friday that someone got stabbed over at Silverado High School? you, You reacted, didn't you? I told you like 13 times I was about to lie to you, and you couldn't help yourself. You're like, oh, that's terrible. Oh, wait a second. We we react when we understand the context. And when it's someone that we could potentially be familiar with, we emotionally react. Especially when it's an individual. I mean, it's crazy to me that I could tell you that over 7 million refugees have fled Syria. And you're like, dang, that's terrible. But if I told you the story, one of them, your heart would break. And so Jesus is telling this story, and it gets their attention, guys. They're like, dang, what happened at Silverado? What was going on? Their hearts are in. They're leaning into this story because they would care. Now, uh, okay, um, the question is going to be, what does it mean? Next ingredient in the story is this, is that a priest walks by and everyone immediately thinking, oh, good. Oh, whew, man, this story is about to get better. No, they're not. Everybody there in a Jewish context would know that if you touch a dead body, you are unclean and a priest uh-huh, heading up the road is heading to Jerusalem in order to perform his priestly duties. They know to touch a dead body means to make yourself unclean, and then he wouldn't be able to do what he's supposed to do. Back to the fictional story, okay? Did you hear someone got stabbed over at Silverado on Friday? You know what was crazy about it, though? That same day that it was first responder day. There were firemen, there were police, and there were um, paramedics on campus already. 
you'd be like, oh, good. All right. I'm going to rest my heart on that part of the story. Because that, that makes me feel a lot better about what's going on. Jesus does that with the next character. He says, so this guy is beat. He's, he's almost naked. He's almost dead. And he absolutely has nothing left. And the first person on the scene is a priest. Everyone listening would be like, oh, good. Because a priest... I mean, a priest was that layer of culture that was designed and organized by God so that people could interact with him. And so if there was someone in this world that I would have their head screwed on right, it would be a priest, man. I mean, they would know how to react in a wrong situation. They would do right. And so Jesus says, man, someone was on this road. He got jumped. He got beat. He got robbed. And then they just left him there. Like, oh. Yeah, left him for dead. And if you touch a dead body, you're unclean. In fact, Jewish practice at the time, you pretty much didn't touch a dead body for just anybody. Yeah, close relatives, yeah. And strangers, not so much. What happened at Silverado? And then Jesus says, you know what, though? A priest walked by. Everyone in the crowd would calm down. Oh, good. Because a real godly person is there now, and they're going to make a difference. And then Jesus starts to mess with them. He says, the priest got to the situation and he saw the person and it says nothing about his mindset. Nothing about his motivation, if he was scared or angry or judgmental or self-absorbed. This is where you need to know your Bible well. You need to know your Torah and the Mosaic Covenant and the rules regarding dead bodies. Oh no. And you've got to wonder what the motivation was. Jesus does not explain it. All he says is that when the priest saw the man beat on the side of the road, that he decided he would go to the other side. Yeah, stay out of range so he doesn't make himself unclean. And all he needed was the width of a road to excuse him from any responsibility. That's the distance he needed to feel really comfortable. And then he And the priest is a representative of the law. The law doesn't have any mercy. We continue. Spy. So what if I told you, you know, fake, it's fake, it's fake. <laughs> Someone got stabbed at Silverado. But you know what's crazy? It was, it was first responder day. And there were paramedics, there were firemen, and there were police on campus. You'd be like, oh, good. Uh, but wait, did you know that every single one who was there, they all had the attitude, you know what, I'm, on, I'm not on duty right now. Like, I'm here just giving out stickers and shaking hands. Like, I'm not going to go respond to that right now. Like, that's not me. Like, they can make a call and get somebody else. You'd be mad. You would be bothered by that reality. That's what Jesus is doing. A priest shows up. Oh, good, it's going to be solved. No, not actually. He walks on the other side of the road. That's all he needs to, like, give his conscience enough, like, distance so that he does nothing. And then he goes on by. People would be grumpy in this part of the story. They'd be mad. They'd be like, Jesus, I don't even like your story. I don't even like what's going on right now. Matter of fact, I'm going to go down to that road right now and look for this guy. And Jesus is like, no, hold on. Let me tell you. The next person that shows up is a Levite. And you're like, oh, a Levite. I remember, I remember, like the, Tim, other than the genes, why were they important? Like, what's a Levite? Yeah, they were off-duty priests. Same thing is going to be in play here. 
right? Well, Le- okay, so the tribe of Levi. So the 12 tribes of Israel, right? They move out of captivity into the land and God gives each like tribe the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin. That's my boy's name, the second one. His name is Judah Benjamin. Judah, because that's the tribe that Jesus was born through. Benjamin, because we liked the name. Um, you got all these tribes and then the Levites, they're the special tribe that God set apart for himself. As a matter of fact, if you were going to be a priest, you were selected from the Levites. And in a good, in an appropriate, in a humble way, the Levites were better than the rest of us. And so Jesus says, a priest came... Uh, what? No. <laughs> no, that's not even true at all. They were sinners just like all of us are. But he walked on the side of the road and he went on by like, oh, no. And then he said, you know what? A Levite comes by you be like, good. Someone, again, someone that's going to make a difference. Someone that's going to do right. No, another guy who knows the Torah and is not about to let himself become unclean for some stranger. Here's the crazy thing. The Levite walked over on the side of the path and the width of the road is all the distance he needed to excuse himself from activity. And then he moves on. Uh Uh-uh. No. No, no, no. This story is... This story, I can't even use the phrase what the story is doing to me right now because it's church and I'm not going to say it. But, but I don't know, Napoleon. I'm just really T.O.'d right now. Um, uh, Jesus has set them up. There's a pivot moment about to happen that he's about to shift gears, but they think that he's plummeting them off the cliff. Because then he doesn't say, it just so happened that a priest, and then a, a Levite came by. Then he says this. He said... But a Samaritan, as soon as he said that phrase, everyone that was listening would have been like, no. Now this part's correct. That's true. No. No, no, no. How bad is this story? Jesus, what, what are you, are you, are you reading Stephen King? What, what, what are you doing? Cormac McCarthy? This is an awful story. This is dark and it's heavy. And now a Samaritan shows up. You don't understand though. And here's the, here's the thing. If I did a long Old Testament and then into the New Testament Bible lesson, we could begin to scratch at the surface of what it meant when Jesus said, but a Samaritan showed up. I'm going to say this. I could explain this really fast too. If I use some awful slurs that our country has used for different ethnic groups over the last 150 years, I could really quickly bring you up to speed on what it would mean to the crowd to hear them say, but a Samaritan showed up. This is true. Again, that's actually absolutely correct. Except I refuse. I will not even give those terms the dignity of using them as a reference point. It's just true that people across all time have found the ability... To come up with words that are slurs. They're they're meant to degrade. They're meant to rob value. They're meant to wound. And when Jesus said, but a Samaritan showed up, he was using a person and a term that was loaded in Jewish culture. Because the Samaritan people were half-breeds. They were old people of the kingdom that married often with other people groups. And then they formed this other thing. And they used terms for them like dogs. 
And if you were a Samaritan, you had no place in God's family. You were kept out of the kingdom. You were allowed nowhere near the temple. You didn't even understand the things of God. And you would literally, you would be able to way, way, way past make fun of them. You could treat a Samaritan the way you wanted to. And you could talk about them any way you wanted to. A Samaritan was lower than low. They were a half-breed. And that's Jesus in this parable. Jesus is the Samaritan. He's hiding behind the mask of the Samaritan in this parable. Let's see if Tim can figure that out. And so people listening to this story, they're like, what is going on? A priest didn't help, a Levite didn't help, and now there's a Samaritan. He's probably going to finish him off. That's what's going to go on. Except Jesus is changing the story. And he says, you know what, here's the crazy thing. When the Samaritan showed up, he bandaged his wounds. Well, that's really... Well, that's not what Samaritans do. Samaritans are awful. They're evil. They have no value. Like, why would it, how did he even do that, by the way? The guy had nothing left. Well, exactly. The Samaritan obviously had to literally have taken off some of his own clothes, ripped them, and bandaged the guy up. Because he had nothing. And then, Jesus says, and then he treated him with oils and with wine. And some of you are thinking, man... Essential oils are in the Bible, Tim. Doterra it up. I had no idea. Was it oregano for like fighting infection? Or was it lavender to help him relax? Like, I don't know. Did he do like a combo? Did he have a diffuser? Like, what was going on here? The Bible says that he used oil and he used wine to treat the guy. Because in the ancient world, they, I mean, they have medicinal value. They really do. And you're like, I know. You should check out my Facebook page. Don't stop. Um, Where did he get that? Probably the glove box. Like He just went back over and he grabbed his stuff. Guys, you understand what's happening, right? The Samaritan is emptying himself to even be able to take care of this guy. Yeah, that's right. And he's the Jesus character in the parable. Jesus taught us how to interpret his parables. Yeah, that's right. He did. I would point you to the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus begins preaching in parables... In, in chapter 13, the disciples say, you know, how, do, what, how do, would you tell us what these mean? And Jesus teaches us how to interpret his own parables. We look for God. We look for Christ in these parables. We look for, you know, different characters, the world or sinners or things like that. And that's how we're able to kind of piece this all together. Jesus is the Samaritan. He's the one who pours himself out. You guys understand that if someone walked by when he was helping him, the first thought in their head is that guy probably did it. But he decides, you know what? I can't just help this guy. So Jesus says, then he put him on his donkey and then he walked him down the path slower than he was going before. I'll tell you that. I've never had to transport someone who's mostly naked and beat down, but I've had to transport kids and it just takes longer, okay? And, and when he's transporting this guy, it had to slow him down and it made him so vulnerable. And then he gets him to an innkeeper. And he says that he spent some time with him. And then the next day, well, I'm able to do math. I mean, I know how time works. That means he spent the whole night taking care of him. And then the next day he goes up to the innkeeper. And without spending a ton of Bible time and like corroborating this with like, you know, all sorts of, he paid for a month's stay. Okay. And he says, and if this isn't enough, you know me, I'll come back and I'm good for it. I'll take care of him. And then the story ends. And then Jesus says, hey, who's the guy who is the hero in this story? Just the neighbor. Like, who's just a neighbor? And I love what the guy is reduced to. I don't know why he said what he said. 
I don't know if it's because I can't even, I can't even say Samaritan because I know that I'm using it for evil and hate. Or if I can't say Samaritan because I'm still really angry that your stinking story had a Samaritan as the hero. Or if his heart was completely humbled to the point where he finally, I absolutely get the point. A neighbor is someone who shows mercy. But I love the description in the, in the, the passage. He says, the one who showed mercy was a neighbor. Right. And Christ is the one who shows us mercy. We have been beaten and left for dead by the devil. The law cannot save us. Christ shows us mercy. You get the themes now, the motifs that Jesus is working in, in the parable. It points us straight to Christ. All right, let's see if Tim figures this out. Jesus was like, yeah, that's great. Go and do that. If you want to know what it means to love God and love people, like, I'll tell you a story. Like, find someone who's naked, beat, robbed, and just take care of them. Put them in your car, like, Uber it up, man. And then, like, get out your doTERRA and your diffuse, and, like, take care of them. And then, like, take them someplace. And then, instead of, like, looking for his debit card, pull out yours. And then get confused, like, is it a swipe or a chip? I don't know what to do right now. And then I just need to get that off my chest. And then, and then tell the owner, like, hey, I'm going to leave a credit card with you. If it goes beyond what I've paid you, just make it happen, man. We just, that would be ridiculous in our culture. That is absolutely foreign to the way we think. And that's the story that's told. Oh, man. Now, now, we're going to get back to this story. And we're going to get back to what this is. But I need you to write a couple things down. And then I'm going to tip you towards our future. Write this down. That people are prone to step away and to step over, aren't they? I mean, that's easy. Like, I'm a varsity sport. Like, Letterman's jacket with all the bars next to it. So you're going to just run this roughshod through the law and miss the gospel that's sitting right there in the text. The merciful Samaritan. And you're going to basically just crank the law up now and guilt trip all of us and say, we need to be, you know, we need to stop stepping over and make a difference. Yeah, this is, and see, the problem is you're, you're going to preach the law. You're going to convict people of their sin, which is what the law does. But preaching the law as the solution to breaking the law doesn't work. We have to be forgiven. And then bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We love because he first loved us. How did he show us his love? By bleeding and dying for us. It is the gospel. We need the gospel preached to us. Only then are we free to serve and be merciful to our neighbors. All the years I've been good at these two things. Stepping away on the other side of the path, that's me. Stepping over someone's problems, that's me. And you know what? Very few will step toward difficulty. So you can write that down, and let me explain why we're talking about this parable and why the next three weeks are probably the most significant. No, they are. The next three weeks here... So the reason you're preaching the parable has nothing to do because it's important as a Christian and a disciple of Jesus to understand this parable. Sunday nights are the most significant three weeks in years. And I'll start to explain why. Oh, we're going to... Yeah, let's just do this. 
From this point on, we want to explain why this year is new and exciting for us as a campus. And there are two reasons. One reason is not as important as the first. One reason is about the organizational structure of High Desert Church. I'm so bored. I'm already done with that. We'll get to it in a minute. Because it's not... Um, What does the parable of the Good Samaritan have to do with the organizational chart of High Desert Church? It doesn't. What are you doing? It's important is what we're going to talk about over here, okay? But I got to warn you, this one has got some significance to what we're going to be doing this year. And it's not as exciting. What I'm going to say is more important, but it's more difficult for me to say. And it's more difficult for you to hear. So I'm going to warn you right now, okay? All right, I'm going to put down this mic so that we're not messing up like angles and camera. I'm just going to push it. I'm sorry about that. Thank you, Kyle. Okay. This. The reason that this parable and our coming year are coming together tonight in this message is because the way our culture is devouring itself right now. I've been watching the news and I don't know if it's because I'm old and I'm thinking about grandkids someday. I don't know if I'm tired, but it seems to me that my culture is getting really, really good at beating itself, stripping it blind, and then leaving itself on the side of the road. It, it, but it's almost like we're doing it like on both ways. It's like everyone's getting robbed, and everyone's getting beaten, everyone's getting left behind, and then everyone wants to avoid. And I'm about to get very specific what I mean, okay? If I stand on this stage, and I use the term Black Lives Matter... There's a group of people in this room, in our church, and in our town that would be like, thank you. Thank you for saying that we matter because it feels like there's a culture that thinks that we matter less. And if I say that, then there's a group of people, they get scared and angry about it. And so then I'm reeling from that. And I'm like, okay, all right. Well, then let's say blue lives matter. And then it's like, okay, wow, well, there's a new group that feels comforted and feels valued and feels safe. But then literally a different group feels scared and hurt. And then you use the phrase, all lives matter. And everyone's like, no, that's not specific enough. You're not taking a side well enough. And it's like, it's like we're literally beating ourselves to death. And then all of us are hurt and wounded. And all of us want to pass by on the other side of the road. It is such a contentious time in our culture's history. And I'm terrified to bring any of it up for fear that someone's going to get mad at me. Like, why didn't you represent my cause? Why didn't you see my side? Why didn't you bring up my view? If I say anything about an election that boasts the separation of cultures and walls, more groups either fear or get angry. And I watch my culture devour itself. I watch every side wind up wounded and every side on the side of the road. And as pastor, I find myself really tempted to take as many steps to the other side, avoid the controversy, and pass on by. And celebrate the fact that, well, at my church, we... Yeah, Tim, here's the issue. This text is actually not about... Black Lives Matter or racial conflict at all. This text is about Christ who's shown mercy to all of us, every single human being. 
And now you're politicizing this. And it sounds like you're walking a tightrope here. And that's not what this text is about. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Christ is the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every single one of us. Skin color doesn't matter, and it doesn't come into play here. Man, man, man. Gather a really big crowd. We can do a really great hour and 15-minute service. We got videos that are fun, and sometimes we laugh, and sometimes we get emotional, and pat myself on the back and write it out. Got a steady income. We gather a crowd and be done with it. But it weighs on me. It weighs on me because of the specificity of the story that Jesus told. And it is crazy to me that Jesus is telling a story that has emotional weight and like actionable clarity to a culture that is a language group removed, that is continents removed, that is centuries removed from me. And I'm about to pull out really specific things from it that are going to impact the way HDC does business in the years to come. You see, the good news for our campus, the big exciting thing that we want to share, is found in this story in the same way the conflict that we face is also found in this story as well is that people are prone to tear each other apart and then people are prone to walk away. It's always been that way. It's not news. It's not just that I'm finally catching up to it. It's not that HTC is finally catching up to it. It's always been this way. So let's notice some things about the Samaritan and let's begin to talk about how HTC is going to react. The Samaritan was different for a few reasons, guys. Write these three things down. One, he stepped across ethnic divisions. Yep, this is true, and the Samaritan is Jesus in this story. Do you realize how odd the hero of this story is? It would have made sense to people if the Samaritan is the one who had been robbed, and then a priest saved the day. That would have been like the normal way to tell the story. Like before the movie Shrek arrives on the scene, and like when you kiss the princess, you know, the, the frog turns into a prince. Like Shrek flipped it and he says, no, be who you are. That's heroic. The way this story should have gone is that the, the, the Samaritan should have been the one who was wronged. And then a priest, in all of his godliness, showed up on the scene and said, I'll do right. I'll swoop in. Jesus flipped the story upside down. And he said, you know the people you've been wronging this whole time? God's people, God's family. I'm going to pick a hero from among them. And I cannot tell you how awkward this story would have been. Like, I'm trying to stay analytical tonight. and, And I'm not getting nearly as detailed and awkward as this was. Jesus picked a Samaritan to be a hero and explain to people... Oh, it's more scandalous than that. Jesus picked a Samaritan to be him in the story. That's how scandalous this is. Mm-hmm. But the scandal, the racial scandal is only the setup for the mercy and grace that Jesus shows the whole world. Ah. When I say love people, I mean like this Samaritan. And man, Jesus was always willing to tell people the truth. <laughs> and I will say this, that it's bizarre to me 
that it would be weird in any church setting to stand up and say, did you know that God has a deep, specific, and passionate love for the Latinos and Mexicans in our culture? Well, that's weird, man. White people can't say that. Well, I, I just want to say that God loves all the Latinos and Mexicans in my town. Like, why, why is that a weird thing? Did you know that God has a deep, passionate, enduring love for the black community of the high desert? He just does. Well, that's weird. I'm a- Right, he does. And he demonstrates his love for all of us by dying for our sins. And if you have people in your church who are racists and would be shocked to hear that Jesus loves Latinos or African Americans or Asians or people from Brazil or indigenous people, you got a big problem on your hand. You have a huge problem on your hand. You're going to need more than this text to address it. Comfortable that you'd say that. Why in the world is my culture telling me that a pastor can't get up and say that God loves the black community? That's insane, people. Why can't we say that God loves Filipinos or that God loves white people or God loves any? Why is it weird? We're letting news outlets and Twitter frame what we are able to express about God, and we've got to change that. This has to change. Okay, good. Are there really people that are saying you can't say as a pastor that God loves African Americans or Latinos? Is that a real problem? I'm asking because I haven't seen that. I'm excited too. I'm excited for our future. But man, we're going to have to work through awkward for a while, aren't we? Because you're literally like, that was weird that Jamie even said that. I'm glad he did. But you're right. It was weird. (laughs) We've got to get past that. And one of the things that we're doing is HDC would love to embrace the diversity of our town, of Victorville. Oh my gosh, and we'll talk about it more in a minute. But i got to say something else. He stepped into difficulty. Everything that helped the man came from the Samaritan. Everything. The man brought nothing to the table other than need. And the Samaritan said, I'll rip my clothes and bandage your wounds. I'll bust out my diffuser and take care of your wounds. I'll put you on my donkey and take you down to a hotel. I'll use my debit card and pay for it. Me, 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 me. Yeah, and that's Jesus in this parable. Put it on himself because he stepped into difficulty. And then the last step he took was he stepped with humility. Oh my gosh. I would love to camp on just the vulnerability of him even showing up on the scene and what a dangerous position he put himself in. It is crazy, but he did it because he was humble. And then write this down, and I'm going to start to get a little more clear what I mean about HDC. These things are difficult, so people don't do them, period. It's weird to even hear it in church, isn't it? And now, like I said, he's led with law. We're getting more law, and now the solution is more law. The one who showed him mercy, that's Christ. We need law and gospel, Tim. Things are difficult. To step across ethnic or socioeconomic divisions is just hard. Like, what if they think I'm judging them, and that's why I'm helping them? Or what if I don't know what to do when I get there? Or what if I I don't belong? Or what if I don't know this? Or what if I don't know that? I'm not going to do it. 
Oh man, this is going to be difficult. I don't even know if I can fix the problem. Like the only thing I could do is help. I can't fix it. All right, well, I'm a dude. If I can't fix something, I don't do it. And so I'm not going to do it. (laughs) And then finally, like humility, like I've got to approach you and I can't tell you how we're going to fix the problem. I've got to ask you questions. All of this internal talk actually doesn't have anything to do with the point of the parable. Spend myself and like, oh man, that that is hard. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep gathering together in my church and feeling good about how God loves me. And then I'm going to write it out. I'm going to write it out. Mm. We talked about the fact that our culture is literally begging us to rise to action. Now let's talk about the less significant, but it's still an important piece of what we're doing that's new this year as a church. You see, for years, HDC has served the whole desert. We just, we're really good at pulling everyone together. And that was a great thing. And as a result, we intentionally kept out of local areas, local causes. For real, this is not a cop-out. Guys, I'm going to say something that's true. We didn't want to invest in like a local specific site because we pulled, I was a youth pastor for a long time here. And if we as a church poured our resources out into a single school, It would be weird because our church is in literally every school in the valley. And so we said, okay, we're going to call individuals every week. Hey, individually be impacting the valley. And then we'll gather. We'll be really good at at the huddles. And then you guys be really great at running the plays. And that's the way it worked for a long time. But honestly, seven years ago, something started to change in our hearts. And we started moving out in the neighborhoods. We call them campuses, but it was really our way to say, we don't want to just gather. The answer cannot always be, let's add another big service. And so we moved into Apple Valley. And you know what's really cool about Apple Valley? Because they're in their town, they serve their town. You know what's really great about Phelan? Because they're in their town, they serve their town. You know what's great about Hesperia? Because they're in their town, they serve their town. And this whole while, our campus, HDC Victorville, we've still had to just be a regional place. Like, well, we'll still be the collecting ground for everyone. And we'll have big events that celebrate everybody. But man, like, us leave our campus and go out? No, we aren't going to do that. I'm the organizational shift, the big announcement that we want to tell you guys. Uh, This has nothing whatsoever to do with the text that you were attempting to exegete. This is you literally hijacking now the whole point. You, You go through all the points of trying to faithfully exegete the text, and then when it comes time to actually get to Christ and the gospel... You change the subject, hijack the whole sermon, and make it about something that it isn't about. Is HDC is now encouraging and yea, even throwing a stake in the ground and saying HDC Victorville is done being regional. We will not excuse ourselves from stepping across the road and only gathering. We are pushing ourselves out into our community this year. We have no idea what's going to happen. We don't even have a good plan for it. But this day, today is day one. 
that we say you can expect from HTC Victorville us to start leading a charge out into our community and serving anyone that needs it. We have no idea what it means. I've got this ridiculous idea. It's dumb. It can't even happen because of how challenging it would be. Just moving people. But wouldn't it be rad if next year, the first weekend of September, we didn't even meet on campus. We had church in the community. Like, we don't even, like, we don't even got to get together and sing. We'll sing next week. But this... So he's casting vision now. Wouldn't it be rad? Yeah. It's been a while since I've heard somebody talk like that. It must have grown, grown up in Southern California like I did. Weekend in September, we're going to be out serving schools and soup kitchens and apartment complexes, and we're out because there's no way I can expect my generation to believe that I love them if they don't see me loving them. And so the big announcement for us is HTC. You can clap for that. What exactly am I clapping for? Something you think would be rad, but you don't even know what it means? Today, today a whole lot changes. Today we're excited to announce that this year our team is actively seeking ways to invest in our town. This year we will step toward Victorville. Uh, That's great. Will you be telling the people of Victorville about Christ and him crucified for their sins. This, I mean, social justice and community service, they're great ways to serve neighbor. But you also need to tell them that Christ died for their sins and call them to repent and trust in Christ. Um, we got a problem here. and You haven't even really done that for the people that you're serving right there in Victorville. Ow. Um, some of you are like, man, that sounds great. Oh, Tim, that's just a different tone and tenor. We're really excited. How's that going to happen? Um, a few things are true. One, we are changing our staff structure on the Victorville team. And we are changing our job descriptions. We're changing our budgets. We've moved money out of places that we... Do you guys have a new CEO? I mean, what does this have to do with the text you were working through? Always spent it on like, oh, let's just do this event and let's do that event. We've moved it out and we've got new categories called go and serve because like we want to do that. But like, oh, cool. What are we going to go and who are we going to serve? We don't know. We don't got a plan. (laughs) But we've got to trap ourselves to this. We cannot keep celebrating ourselves that we're great at gathering crowds and we never step out. And so this pitch this weekend is kind of like... That's an interesting confession. We're great at gathering crowds. Yeah, seeker-driven guys are great at gathering crowds. How good are you at making disciples? Mm -hmm. Baptizing, teaching, proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Shoot, you guys are going to do this. What are you going to do? We don't know. But we've got to trap ourselves to it. It is a scary reality that will demand that we change as a church. And we don't want to change. Nobody ever wants to change. I am already, I'm 39 years old and I'm already too old for change. I've learned that. Like, oh, charges are going to get closer to me. No, that's bad. Like, what? We're changing. And so we are changing our calendar, our budgets, our staffing, our structure, and our focus. But what else does it mean? I feel like I'm in a board meeting. What is this? I don't know yet. And so that's, we, we need you to write something down, and, and then we're going to end our time with a call. 
We want to say that as we are humble, as we step across divisions, and as we step into difficulty, that these things are divine. They reflect Jesus and they refine us. And so, yeah, um, really drill into that reflect Jesus thing because you're dangerously close now to actually getting the whole point of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh huh. Jesus is the Samaritan. If we get a chance to reflect him and he gets a chance to grow me, I'm going to do that. That's what we're about. And so we're going to ask you to take a step. And we're going to ask you to take a step tonight um, through what Mikey lets you know about is the best way for us to figure this out. We're 3,000 people a weekend, guys. We can't just say, oh, cool, let's go pick up trash on this block. If 500 of us showed up, 400 of you would have nothing to do. You'd lose confidence that we have good ideas and the dream would die. So we've got to build this slowly. Did you know that we've already met with three different school sites in the last three weeks and we've asked them, we want to serve your students, you tell us how. And the school sites are like, for real? Oh, shoot, I don't know, let me think of something. And so they're thinking, the best thing that you can do is you've got to figure out what step you're going to be willing to take with us. Because I'm going to say this, there are two things that are true, guys. One is the general vague. Like, man, Tim, I'm excited about this. I don't even know what it means, like, but I'm amped. Like... You've got to be willing to say, Tim, I want to be on board with whatever this means for the church because the next generation of faith, it's got to be reached through active service, not having services. And so that's a... Man. Um, The job of a pastor is to preach the word. Oh, man. He's totally missed the whole point. And uh, he thinks the whole point is now we got to... We gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta. Ah. Yeah, you're back to the attorney, the the lawyer, the 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 expert in the law. What do I gotta do? Ah, man, you missed the whole point about the mercy. Big emotional step we've all got to take, and then the other step is in the app. Probably the best way we can think through moving people into our communities is through our existing volunteer teams. The best way for us to mobilize is going to be on a smaller scale. we got to be nimble. And so what we'd like for you to do is at some point either to go to this website, which you can throw that up if you don't got um, the app, or you can go to your app, either place. And it's just going to ask you for this. What's your name? What's your contact information? Because we want to sell it to telemarketers big time. No, we don't. (laughs) What's your name? What's your contact information? And you tell us. Well, Tim, if I were to serve my community, I'd love to do it with the team, honestly, that loves on babies because, like, I love that the services are inspiring and I hope we do do this. But Yeah, the other part of it is, is that he's not recognizing the fact that the people in his congregation are already doing good works. Mm-hmm, they are. They're already loving and serving their neighbors in their vocations as husband, wife, father, mother, employer, employee, and even volunteering in the the help that they're doing in community, uh uh-huh, children's events and sporting events and things like that. They are already rich in good works along these lines. So he thinks the whole point of the parable of the Good Samaritan is get busy, do more. No, it's show mercy. Yeah, yeah. 
man, I, I want to love on babies. We got a team for that. Let us know. Tim, I want to work with elementary age kids. I've got a heart for kids and I would love to do that. Okay, put your name, your contact information and click kids. This is me clicking kids if you can't tell. Hey, I want to work with students. Hey, I, I want to work, I want to work, believe it or not, with campus safety. And I want to make, help be a part of a team. We have a team every weekend that makes this campus a safe place. Either through medical expertise or just being good eyes on keeping people safe. Do you know that we've got teams that work with just making our, our campus hospitable? And if you want to be someone who's welcoming, click that. Did you know that there's an opportunity for you to just say, Tim, literally, I, I love people, but I don't want to talk to them. Like, like, what do I do with that? Like, that's my personality. Like, I love people, but I don't want to give a stranger a hug in my God-given life. Like, what do I do? Like, well, do you like to, do you like to bring order and like fix and like repair? Like, yeah, man, just give me a project and I'll do that. I love projects. Let me do, yeah, there's people pointing at people. The project, there's, there's a facility team. You could say, pull me into this, man. Put me on a facility team. Like I'll fix things. Puedo arreglar. Like I want to, I want to help. But guys, we, we can never become who we need to be by remaining who we are. And this is a really big deal for us. We're really nervous about it. But we are passionate that one of the craziest heroes in the whole Bible shouldn't have even been a hero. He was a Samaritan, man. He didn't belong. My culture says we don't belong. He he didn't have the opportunity to, to make the guy's things magically go away. He just had to step in and help with what he could. Well, we can do that. And he had an opportunity to show mercy. And that's what we want to do. We believe that the future of HDC is found in our ability to actively extend mercy to our town. And so the big exciting news this weekend is this, is that we don't have to bear the weight of being... Start with the mercy of Christ who bled and died for our sins. Start by proclaiming that mercy to the people there at High Desert Church right now and only regional, <laughs> regional, that we will not only gather in this room to celebrate ourselves, but we're going to figure out a way to get off this church campus and into our town and love. You gather to celebrate yourselves? You just said you gather to celebrate yourselves. What? Well, for the glory of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Done. Oh, man, that was a train wreck. Absolute train wreck. Now, for a contrast, for a contrast, head over to fightingforthefaith.com. Look for today's episode. Today's episode is Tuesday, September 6, 2016. In the additional resources part of this episode, you'll see a link, a link to a sermon I delivered. In fact, I'll just put the audio there. All you have to do is hit play. And I recently gave a sermon on this exact parable. Listen to the sermon and compare. And you'll see the difference. Yeah, when I delivered the sermon, I didn't talk anything about our organizational structure or anything like that. What was I thinking? I I don't know. Yeah, because the story is about Christ. He's the one who showed mercy. That's the point. And as soon as you see it, the whole parable begins to crackle with, real life, and then you know how to rightly understand law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and bearing fruit in keeping with repentance 
and now truly being set free to love and serve neighbor because you have been forgiven. Ah, anyway, I think you get the point. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My mail address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ to vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.